0: we Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 90th episode, it's the return of Chris Rowling. Along the way, we discuss the joys and downfalls of crossovers, Stephen King and Grant Morrison's dueling fiction suits, questions of form, hills to die on, and spicy exotic cola takes. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress.
1: They're going to freeze Slowly
0: All right, Chris, so for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: I am Chris Rowling. I am a person from Minnesota, the United States of America. I do a couple of podcasts. If you've listened to the show before, you may have heard me talk about All Your Kayfabe Friends, which is my pro wrestling podcast, and then Well Worn Grooves, which is my music podcast, which will soon and very soon be making a triumphant return to the Internet. The last time I was on the show, I talked very deeply for my love of specifically a series of unfortunate events. But if I remember right, we also talked about playing make-believe with your friends and Animorphs to a pretty great degree.
0: And how your friend always brought Godzilla into everything.
1: Yeah, which like really made things better the more I think about it.
0: Yeah, it's like you need to up the stakes. Enter Godzilla. Now, Chris, we like just depart the kimono for a moment. We've been talking for like 40 minutes about wrestling. (laughs) how great wrestling is, which will be an amazing bonus content, which explains why we're a little goofy right now. But at one point, once upon a time, shortly after the last episode, we nearly made a podcast together just to talk about crossovers. That's true. So for those who were not privy to that extremely enthusiastic Twitter conversation, (laughs) for you, what is it about crossovers that gets your attention?
1: I... It's hard to put into words. I love them because they all exist in this weird in-between space where anything is possible and rules don't matter. Even crossover, like intra-company crossovers, like I always think of the, have you watched any Kamen Rider or Super Sentai?
0: Pretty much only original Mighty Morphin, but yeah, I know of the things because I know Sims
1: well they they do these like specials at the end or like not the end of a season but like near the end of a season where it introduces the new rider for the next season because it's like it's a different character every year but they're like they can't be canon like stuff happens in them that is never ever brought up again (laughs) like they like universe breaking shit or like people will get like special powers that never ever show up again or they'll do like a fusion together that never shows up again. It's super bizarre. That's kind of like a, a good example of that is like when you mash two things together, cool stuff comes out of it and then you like can never go back to it.
0: You know what it's like? If anyone's read the Robert Rankin books, the Brentford trilogy, which is I think something like 12 books in counting because that's Robert Rankin. All of his books happen in the same place. They all happen in Brentford, which is like a suburb of London. And it's a weird anachronistic, like stuck in the seventies kind of britain like you know where you pay for your beer in hapenny's uh, <laughs> and you always give exact change because the barman will always give you the wrong change back it's all about like these kind of weird british like tropes and stereotypes but also action movie tropes and uh, it's great it's very funny but his two main characters are always the same there's always john o'malley and jim Pooley who are these two kind of stumble bum bar patrons who always end up in these world sweeping like cataclysmic events and the end of the book never resolves anything and the next book is just back to normal uh- it's just like they're back at the bar they're buying cigarettes whatever
1: (laughs) that's that sitcom thing almost of like yeah at the end of the episode no matter what everyone's learned or you know whatever's progressing story we are always back to square one in the next episode
0: Mm -hmm. yeah totally i also think that coming back to the crossover thing because of and this is something we saw with infinity war a bit because there's usually so much going on you kind of get the seed of the character you get the bones of that character right because very rarely with these, and never to the characters. What's the word, what's the opposite of detriment? Shit, benefit. Never to the characters' benefit. Do you get an extremely topical version of a character in a crossover? It's always to their detriment.
1: Oh, even like Secret Wars. That's like Iron Man is Rhodey at the time. Spider Man gets his black costume. Is Hawkeye Goliath at the time? Maybe. Or I think Giant he is. Man? Yeah.
0: Or even, like, in Marvel vs. DC, you know, you've got Thor in that weird-ass fucking 90s costume that he wears. You've got Ben Riley Spider-Man. Oh, it is Ben Riley. Yep, Ben Riley Spider-Man who takes on Superboy in his Metropolis <laughs> Kid outfit.
1: Oh, you mean his one true outfit, his real clothes, as Sims would say.
0: Yeah, it's the only real one. But yeah, it's funny because almost all the DC characters, with the exception of, like, Aquaman, are pretty much you know they're like you said they're real clothes whereas every marvel character is the incredibly specific version of that character from that moment in time and it's like you look back now and you don't remember oh that was a classic clash also that that crossover sucked but you look back and you go fuck thor what were you thinking
1: well it's like i i actually had the dc versus marvel wikipedia open before you mentioned it because i was gonna say you better go look it up well my favorite thing is the first because apparently i have not read it in ages i forgot it's literally just fight 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 it's like rounds of a fight and the yep i love how the finishes are written out on wikipedia because the first one just says aquaman beats namor by summoning a whale to leap out of the water and land on namor drops a
0: fucking whale on him
1: since namor is pinned and unable to move he is declared the loser
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know and it's like i remember like being mad about that i'm like this is namor namor walked through a sub once a whale's not gonna stop him. Is this
1: the one where they voted?
0: That's the thing. There were certain ones that were decided narratively. Okay. And others that were just like the equivalent of a coin toss, where they were just like, ah, we'll ask the, like, it's the point where you had the Silver Surfer fly at Green Lantern. There was a big kabang, and the next shot you see Silver Surfer standing with Green Lantern laid out unconscious on his board. That was the extent of their fight.
1: Wow. That's, that is such bullshit.
0: Yep. And you know about the Wolverine Lobo thing, right? where they were just like it's like two panels where they go like you see them (laughs) scrapping near a bar and Logan does the snick and calls him Bub, and Lobo calls him a bestitch and they go over the bar and Logan comes up smoking Lobo's cigar and that's it
1: that is like equally great and awful because like the whole shtick of this kind of thing is like oh we want to see these moments if that were a normal story I really like the shorthand of like oh yeah they fought, but it's really dope because it was quick, and now he comes out, and you can tell he's the winner.
0: And he's doing the equivalent of eating his lunch.
1: Also, why the fuck are—why are Wolverine and Lobo opposites in this? Lobo is— Uh,
0: a, stylistic choices?
1: They have the same hair, kinda. Like, well, Lobo is essentially a parody of Wolverine. and then, It's well, a parody it is,
0: of lots of stuff, and then they forgot that he was a parody the, of yeah, lots of stuff.
1: Like, a lot of superhero <laughs> parodies, they forget that it's a joke. <laughs> He's got that Deadpool problem.
0: What if we just do the thing?
1: (laughs) I forgot this is the one where Batman and Captain America, like, essentially fight to a standstill. And then, who is it? One of them is like, man, we could fight forever. I'm just gonna give up.
0: It would happen, and you'd win, but it would take a long-ass time. (laughs) Instead, we can get to the bottom of what's actually happening. So dumb. Then you get... (laughs) Speaking of weirdo matchups, you got Robin and Jubilee, who were picked, because they're pretty much wearing the same outfit.
1: And then Robin wins by tying her up with his cape.
0: After they make out a whole bunch.
1: After they make out a whole bunch, because that's comics.
0: Well, Although, I, I gotta say, maybe it's the most 2018 thing, but if you had a bunch of superheroes who were squaring off, I'm pretty sure the internet would decide that at least one of them would just end up making out.
1: More than one of them. It'd be all of them. <laughs> well, it's like, you mentioned that like, kind of the heart of it is like, you get the seeds of a character, or you get like a, the best version or a weird version. Like, and because so many things have to happen for these stories to, like, take place. Or, like, Infinity War is a really good example. Like, there are so many plot points that need to be hit that there's not really room for character a lot of the time. So it leads into what I call the, the Overwatch problem, which is... It's not really a problem. It's a, it's a thing that appeals to a lot of people. Like, Blizzard has succeeded by essentially creating just the bare bones of a thing and letting fans run with it. Because guess what people really like to do now? Run with it. Fan fiction, fan art, arguments about shipping, whatever. Like, it's like Overwatch was designed in a lab to appeal to those people. And I I think you get a lot of that in these crossover type things, too.
0: Well, because if you think about it, the basic function of a crossover is to take, let's say you're interested in reading X-Men, and they're going to have a crossover with this new team that's just started their book. It's You're meant to get a shorthand so that you can go, hey, maybe I'll go read their book too. When it, yeah, Like that's meant to, it's meant to be bringing you in.
1: It's giving them the rub.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, the rock raising Roman Reigns' hand, although that didn't turn out as well.
1: <laughs> oh man, that's like the most awkward, like 60 seconds of television I've ever seen.
0: Yep. Although, just a brief sidebar, we're not going to go into talking nope. about wrestling again. There was an entire bonus episode about wrestling. Did you know? And this was mentioned briefly in How To Wrestling, and I crunched the numbers. Do you know that the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar feud has been going longer than the entire Attitude Era?
1: Yeah. It's wild.
0: By a month and a half from the official stated start date on WWE.com of the Attitude Era, which is in like 97, and the end, which was WrestleMania X7 in 2001. It, yeah. Since the first one where Rollins cashed in and made it a triple threat between Roman and Brock and him to SummerSlam is a month and a half longer than that. And that feud sucks. It sucks so hard.
1: Oh, it's real bad. Yeah, but we, we got to move on or else the whole we do. We got to bring it back. The discourse of that.
0: Yeah, we don't, we don't have time for that. You have an entire podcast about that
1: yes unfortunately (laughs) because that's that's what we talk about now
0: it's true but bringing it back to the crossover thing like saying the idea that okay this is meant to be so that your stronger books can prop up your weaker books or Mm -hmm. your newer books and get everyone interested in these characters so that's why in secret wars when spider-man and the x-men face off the x-men restate the mutant problem and why they exist as to where they are just before spider-man kicks all their asses because yeah but i think where that's fallen down is that If you look at so many of the big summer crossovers that Marvel's done in the past, Jesus Christ, 20 years, a lot of it has lost that. It's not bringing in a weaker book to prop it up with a stronger book. Instead, it's, oh, we have to involve everybody because the story demands that this is a big enough problem. It has to involve everybody. And so rather than the event being in service of the other books, the other books become slave to the event.
1: Yeah, the only one that I think has kind of done it well, like recently, and I like this is not just an excuse so I can talk about this book, is metal. Every issue of that is part of this story. It is contained. There isn't like a, oh, we did a three-issue story in, you know, Birds of Prey or whatever just because this was affecting the world, so we felt we needed to do this. And so we, like, shoehorn the story into it and shoehorn the characters into it. It's like every little side issue because it's, like, Six or seven issues that aren't part of the main series but they're all just introductions of the evil batman from the fallen multiverses works really good because that that book already feels like momentous and huge and and universe changing and i don't need you know an issue of cyborg to tell me what cyborg was doing during this like it's in the story
0: oh i know what cyborg was doing he was hacking the multiverse
1: But I don't need that to be 22 pages, you know? It rules that it's going on, because everything in that book rules.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I will say, I am only tangential to metal, because I have not read it. And I'll tell you why. It's because when it was coming out, there was no way I could follow all of it, because it was happening in issues, and issues are really expensive in Australia. The one I bought, Mm. I bought the uh, Batman The Red Death issue, because my local comic book store near work over-ordered, and so they were selling it for three bucks. And there's still some on the shelf because they couldn't sell enough of them.
1: Oh, you mean the issue where an evil Bruce Wayne goes crazy and straps a flash to the front of the Batmobile?
0: Yes, that would be the one. <laughs> Turning him into the universal <laughs> treadmill to steal his powers.
1: Every issue of Metal has something like that in it. Like, it is the highest possible form of superhero comics. It is so bananas and so good.
0: I'll give you one word batmanium
1: i'll raise you two words the mantling
0: <laughs> and see what's what's good is that i don't even need to know what it is because i've heard chris and matt on Warrock rock and ajax just will just say the mantling and then they'll just crack up and just be like
1: oh man it's not the mantling and someday you will too you will join us in the light
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, I was the one who read Final Crisis before Chris came back on and went, now I know who Dax Novu is, and now I know why you keep yelling about him and the Aurora worlds.
1: <laughs> oh, are we going to talk about Final Crisis now? Because I can do that too. Final Crisis is the only book I own an absolute of. <laughs> really? Yes, I love Final Crisis. It is possibly my favorite DC comic of all time.
0: And See, I will briefly temper your enthusiasm by saying I liked it. However, even I, with the knowledge that I have, found it challenging as hell. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's nigh impenetrable. It is one of the few, like, straight-up superhero comics that I think is actually enhanced with, like, annotations. I always recommend people check out David Usmeri's annotations of Final Crisis. He also did some really fantastic ones for Multiversity. Um, Yeah, and
0: actually, I only read one issue of Multiversity for that same reason. I bought the first one because it had a really cool variant cover with Captain Carrot on it, doing the Action Comics number one, and I'm like, I'll buy that you know on a whim and I read it and I'm like I don't this isn't for me.
1: <laughs> Multiversity very much is the parts are much better than the whole. The Captain Marvel issue is just a riot. The Watchmen Pastiche one Pax Americana is it is like a formalist wet dream. It is I was going to
0: say which which is the one about how reading the comic is actually like a, a parasitic idea and that by reading the comic you're allowing it to win and kill you in some which one was that?
1: I am blanking on the name and I'm like mad. You know the one I mean, Um, right? I know
0: exactly what you
1: mean. It's the monster at the end of this book. um, Yeah. In comic book form. Because it's the, oh my God. I can see the character because he's the, he's, captain adam meets what's his name from watchman i can't do proper nouns on this show apparently <laughs> dr manhattan dr midnight i was kind of i want to call him mr yep. midnight I'm like that dr I'm
0: manhattan say. not dr midnight is somebody else because comic books
1: <laughs> yep dr midnight's a different guy dr manhattan there we go
0: Hang on. i'm just gonna go to every story ever and search the word multiversity because they talked about it for like half an hour
1: ultra comics
0: that's the one
1: yeah ultra comics is the comic that as you read it you actually become the catalyst for the bad thing happening and it warns you constantly to stop reading it
0: what's that gif of that snake biting his own tail until he slowly eats himself and ceases to exist
1: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah it's an ouroboros and then also it's you know kind of hokey like it I don't know. It's a really weird book. It's it's a mimetic virus, is how it's described. That's in the, the word. In the yeah, yeah. It is literally an idea that spreads and changes things. Um, and so Grant Morrison was like, mm, "I'm the most clever. What if I did something with that?"
0: And Neil Stevenson piped up and went, "Hey, anyway, he shut up, Neil. Snow Crash was a long time ago.
1: <laughs> Snow Crash was a long time ago. You want to read something that has aged super weirdly?"
0: there's your your pick although on a whim i had like an audible subscription for a while and i got promoted ream d which is oh yeah that
1: book's fantastic
0: it is but it's also like the thing is there were huge chunks of it that i really liked and then there were other bits where i'm like what are we doing
1: (laughs) well and in audiobook form i want to say it's like 42 hours long or something something like
0: that that. yeah i I had a killer commute and so i did stuff like the stand in audiobook form (laughs) And what's funny is that then after I did that optimized search engine stuff, then suggested me the Stand miniseries on Netflix. And I started watching it and I tweeted. I'm like, well, I've just finished the, you know, 62-hour Stand audiobook. And now I'm starting the seven-hour miniseries. And my friend Alex leaned over to me and he went, you know time is finite and we're only here for a short time, Lucas. You can do (laughs) other things. You don't have to say
1: yes. It's funny you bring Stephen King up since we're talking about crossovers. Since he's a guy who just decided, ah, yeah, everything I do is a crossover.
0: Oh, yeah, you know, I'm putting, like, oh, oh, what's this? I have to write a fairy tale? Yeah, cool. It's the bad guy from The Stand, who is also the bad guy from The Dark Tower, who is also, (laughs) a.k.a. my favorite, this beautiful sentence, this is my cellar door, the walk-in dude.
1: He also, this is the guy who decided everything was a crossover, and also he wanted to write a multiversal moment where he doesn't do a horrible thing, (laughs) and, and like, doesn't develop a horrible drinking problem, which leads him to becoming a writer. Like, he did that. That's in a book. It's wild.
0: Didn't need to make himself a fiction suit to go be King Mob for a while.
1: Oh, man, I just, just described fiction suits to my girlfriend the other day. (laughs) Yesterday, actually, and I was like, oh, no, what am I doing?
0: It's the smartest dumb thing.
1: Yeah, no, it is It is the smartest dumb thing, because boy, is it dumb.
0: <laughs> uh, I couldn't get through Grant Morrison's book, Super Gods. I tried. I liked a lot of the beginning of it, a lot.
1: Oh, I love that book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mean the part where he's tripping balls? In <laughs> that
1: book, no shit, changed my life. But I also understand how it might be the worst read for most people.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is both great and bad.
1: That book only takes, like... 40 or 50 pages to just straight up be like yeah magic's real (laughs) and i can do it
0: i I met the universal reflection of superman in a cab once and he Mm -hmm. talked to me
1: yeah yeah outside of comic-con they just like had a conversation and and that's when he wrote all-star superman oh it's because when he was in Kathmandu and he dropped a bunch of acid he spoke to what he could only describe as angels and those angels told him he was going to change superhero comics forever. So he did.
0: Yeah, I mean, it stands to reason.
1: I mean, he's not wrong about some of that.
0: <laughs> but no, coming back to Stephen King, it's like, <laughs> especially because I think so many of us read it when we were probably too young to be reading it. It was one of those things that seemed like a trick that only you spotted if you had read the right combination of books in the right order, you know? It's like the difference of finding out a cheat code in a magazine or discovering it yourself.
1: And his son did the same thing.
0: Oh, Joe Hill. Yeah.
1: Yes. There is a moment in his third novel, I think it is, Nosferatu.
0: Which is about a vampire car.
1: It is about a vampire (laughs) car that lives in a Christmas amusement park. And I cannot recommend it more highly than that.
0: The license plate, isn't it like NOS402? Yeah,
1: it's N-O-S-4-A-2, which is the actual title of the book, but I'm not going to try and, like, pronounce that.
0: Which, I need to say, on a Buffy forum in 1999, I knew two people who had usernames like that, and there were differentiations in how they spelled it, so they wouldn't be... you know, getting each other's posts and stuff. So uh, take that, Joe Hill. But tell me more about this this crossover.
1: <laughs> truly deep cut though. That was also there was a villain on the Buzz Lightyear Saturday morning cartoon show.
0: Oh my god.
1: Who was a robot vampire named that.
0: Yeah, and just cutting into things like that where it's like shout out to vampire characters in kids cartoons and comics because uh, I have fond memories of being scared out of my wits by reading an Alf comic at camp where he had to face off with Melmacula. <laughs> <laughs> An alien vampire. And when I went in my early 30s, went back to look that comic up. Bill Sienkiewicz drew that cover?
1: Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah, he did.
0: Get you paid, Bill Sienkiewicz.
1: Dude, get that paper. Like, why not draw that cover?
0: (laughs) And I tweeted at him, and he's like, yeah, yes, I remember it fondly. And I'm like, I bet you do. (laughs) This (laughs) ALF comic cover that you drew as guest."
1: But yeah, bringing it back, like, Joe Hill, in a not super subtle way, not only reveals that all of his novels are connected, he reveals that the Lock and Key comic series is connected as well.
0: Oh my god, what, do they just go to, do they go past the house or something? Or do they find a key, or what do they do?
1: I guess, like, spoilers for a book that came out, like, five, six years, six, seven years ago at this point. There is a character you're following that essentially has, like, a version of The Shining. Like, she has a weird ability to, like, travel anywhere she wants if she's on a bike in this certain bridge and like has a weird like propensity for finding lost things because of it
0: which is two very stephen king things
1: exactly which is weird because i always say like joe hill's a great writer he's not just doing like his dad's stuff but like he really leans into it here and i think i think it's on purpose
0: yeah like the finding lost things is from Dreamcatcher. But anyway, yeah. continue. So
1: then, there is a kidnapped child who has like an iPhone, and when this ability is turned against her and used by the aforementioned car vampire,
0: never <laughs> the, <laughs> not going to be funny.
1: The um the police use like find my iPhone or whatever. The map opens up, and this is the wildest shit because it's not like oh it, technology doesn't work around this magic. No, the Find My iPhone map has to, like, justify itself and, like, creates a weird, nonsensical image where it's like, oh, this marker is just bouncing around all these different places, and they start naming places, and one of them is Lockhouse, uh, or sorry, Keyhouse from Lock and yeah. Key and like one of them is the treehouse from horns if you've read that one of them is like it mentions like the puzzle box or whatever it is from his first book like it's not and then it also specifically mentions dairy main god
0: damn it although it does help that dairy main's a real place so it's up to you how far you want to take it but yeah it basically
1: is like oh yeah and also the overlook hotel like the shit (laughs) is it's like a junior version of stephen king's universe it was really weird it, like, it, actually really took me out of the book. I was just hyped that, like, Lock and Key is canon and something, because that's the best comic.
0: Yeah, it is. It's really well, good, and well, I'm well. due a, a reread. Because thing is, I read the last couple in issues, and compared to, like, devouring it in trades beforehand, drawing that out over, like, a year and a half was just, like, a completely different experience.
1: That book reading as it was coming out was just wild. Like, they played cliffhangers and stuff so well.
0: It's one of those things where, and I mean, hi, Catherine Van Arandong, where you talk about the difference between like a TV episode being its own discrete thing, but also having to fit into the broader narrative. And Mm -hmm. the problem with referring to a TV show, a prestige TV show as, oh, it's like an 11 hour movie. And it's like, no, it still needs to be a TV show. An episode needs to be an episode. By the way, in like completely disappearing up my own butt earlier this week, I saw someone post a bunch of Stanley Kubrick's photographs that he did when he was a photographer, just like street shots and like some portraits and things. And they're like, they're like stills from a movie. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're photographs that imply a story you hack. (laughs) So I found the hill that I want to die on. But when it comes to... That's a good hill to
1: die on, though. You're not wrong.
0: Oh, they're, they're like this other thing. No, they can be their own thing. Let a thing be its own thing with its own rules and its own... Yeah, ugh. Anyway, but the idea of writing for the trade on comic books can be a bad thing. Like, I I mentioned when I talked to Jay Edidin that I got a random smattering of Batman issues in, like, a blind box from a comic shop. There was just, like, a bunch of unconnected New 52 Batman issues, and none of them were readable on their own. I had no idea what was going on in any of them. One starts mid-conversation and doesn't identify who anyone is.
1: Ooh, especially that run. Like, every arc of that run is, like, meant to be its own big thing
0: yeah and something like lock and key which is incredibly episodic but also like you said can play to the format of this is an issue we have to have something happen in every issue and i think i forget what issue it was it was the calendar issue where every they basically went through and had an adventure on every day of october
1: oh i forgot about that is such an exceptional piece of work
0: It works as a narrative device because they're like, okay, we need to accelerate the story because it used to be they'd find one key per book. And in Mm. order to set up the finish, we need them to find a bunch of keys. So how can we do that without it seeming contrived? And it's like, oh, no, we're going to do it where every day in October, I I can't remember if it it wasn't quite every page was a day. It was a little less than that to fit 31 days and then have each like you get like one panel that's a day. And it's like, they're being chased by teddy bears while using the angel wings key that they found earlier. And they're holding what's clearly bowed in teddy bear form being chased by these murderous bears holding knives. And then you next panel, it's something else. And it's like, that's the whole issue. That's a great, just an accomplishment as okay. Can we tell a story like this? And they do and everything makes sense, but also this advances the story and it doesn't feel, it feels like an achievement rather than a contrivance.
1: It's that thing I talked about with like leaving spaces. Every one of those is its own story, and you know just enough to like set your mind reeling. Yeah.
0: And again, it just works because Lock and Key is a hella good comic book.
1: Yeah, like Lock and Key, not technically a crossover, but like the highest, highest recommendation. If you like spooky things at all, like it's a perfect, we're coming up on October, we're coming up on Halloween.
0: It's almost Halloween. Sorry, Chris. It is almost. It is almost Halloween, and I don't even know what that's from. I just know Sim says it all the fucking time. <laughs> What's it from, Chris Rowling, Help me. I,
1: do, I have no idea. <laughs> that man just like puts thoughts and phrases out into the world, and it ruins people like us.
0: But yeah, definitely a spooky reread. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that for October. That'll be fun. We should do like a book club thing. That's a really good idea. I will put that one in the locker. It's funny because you know how there have been a bunch of like, hey, quote, tweet and name a thing that you want to talk about has become de on Twitter. Someone's like, oh, name a property that you wanted more out of that you think could have established at a cinematic universe or whatever. Have you ever seen a show called The Lost Room?
1: No, that's not ringing any bells.
0: It was like this weird miniseries where it was like three movie-length episodes, and what it was is this guy finds an object, and it's a key. It's like a hotel key, and what he finds is that when you put this key into any Tumblr lock and open it, you go into a hotel room, and then when you go to leave the hotel room, you can go wherever you want. It's like the Anywhere key, but before. Okay. Okay. What he finds, and then it's like, okay, well, then we go back, and to go back to where we want to, we have to, we always have to go through the room to come back, and that's the titular lost room. But what he finds is that anything you put into the room, and then you close it and lock it with a key, and then open it up again, will disappear. The room always resets, so you can go in and like mess up the covers on the bed, or like knock a lamp over, and when you go back, it's always the same room because it's a conduit, sort of this universal Mm -hmm. conduit. And what happens to this dude is that he's bringing his daughter with him. And his daughter gets, the door swings shut behind him at one point, and she's in the room, and he frantically opens it up again, and she's gone. And so he's like, right, I need, to, I need to find her, because it's, you know, every parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. But then what you find out is that there are a bunch of capital O objects that have come from this room, and the key is just one of them. And everyone has a different power. But the objects one attract each other so that you know if you have one you're more likely to find someone else who has one and there are like people hunting them that are trying to collect them all or collect certain ones to do a thing and like there's a comb that when you run it through the air freezes time for everyone but you for like maybe 15 seconds oh cool you run it through your hair and you've got like 10 to 15 seconds to run and do something else but also if you're moving when it stops you become really sick because the motion of the earth has just caught up to you or you have scissors and what scissors do is they can rotate anything and that sounds like a really dumb power until someone tries to grab them off the lady who has them and she points at his arm and turns it and he suddenly flipped up into the air by his wrist (laughs) like you can rotate on a point
1: that's really cool
0: the slow introduction like the slow reveal of each of these things is really cool and interesting and it's great world building the sad thing is it's then tied to this i gotta find my daughter story which is very pat and then you think okay well eventually this is a hotel room we find the hotel room in the real world but it's not the same as the one you travel to so it becomes like a parallel universe thing and then you find out that the room has a capital o occupant and he's collecting his items and it's just like doesn't that sound like a great premise
1: oh yeah like everything you just described like i'm way 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 into
0: yeah it was a very short series i think it came out in like the early aughts i remember a podcast called the totally rad show did a review of it because they just found it and they were like we can't stop talking about just like the potential of this thing
1: did it end like did they get to do an ending
0: it's sort of like it was one of those and the adventure continues endings, Uh. where it was clearly meant to set up something else and it was never picked up after that it's one of those things where every now and again i think about it. i'm like how fucking cool was that
1: that yeah that sounds brilliant
0: you get occasional like things where it's like oh you know margaret cho was briefly in one of the episodes oh just like oh out of nowhere just like she's the owner of one of the items and she's briefly seen as some people try to track her down and she takes off and gets away using the item so yeah it's the the lost room if you can check it out if you want it's again it's very dated because it's very mid-aughts but i think it was like the groundwork for something really special
1: yeah i figured it'll probably feel like those early new doctor who seasons yeah yes my guess which is a very specific aesthetic
0: yeah we're topical now
1: they were in 2004 but it looked like 1998 (laughs) i didn't think britain was that far behind the states but wow
0: i was gonna say it takes it takes 60 years for something to come around (laughs) who was saying that about something where it's i think it was rosie and jessica were talking about how damn it's gonna kill my life oh no that was it it was somebody else actually was talking about because we got coca-cola black or coca-cola noir whatever it was the one that had coffee in it we got it like last year (laughs) and someone's like is is this like how the 80s took 10 years to end in canada
1: that's bizarre because yeah coke black has not been a thing here in forever and also it's the worst idea
0: oh no, no no i can get to some worst ideas how about coke zero raspberry or coke zero orange which oh, yeah, both the, were attempted here.
1: We recently got like they did it with Diet Coke, where there's like a bunch of different Diet Cokes. I think one of them is supposed to be like spicy. I know there's a spicy <laughs> Pepsi. It's called Pepsi Fire. I have heard of this. I would not mess with that. Would not.
0: See, I remember when just before I came to Australia, there was Pepsi Samba, which had the, the bold flavor of tamarind, aka the sticky fruit paste that you use in like Indian and Thai cooking.
1: Okay.
0: It actually wasn't bad. It was just like, it was just like a slightly unidentifiable, slightly fruit taste thing at the end of the Pepsi that you had.
1: That's bewildering. Like somebody sat down and wrote about, like had to pitch that and it got approved and they were like, yeah, we'll call it Samba. Samba.
0: It's like, why are you doing this? They don't Samba in Thailand. I'm going to see if I can find a picture of the bottle. Oh, here you go. Yeah. It was marketed as an exotic cola.
1: An exotic cola.
0: Both racist and kind of lame at the same time.
1: Yeah, just like I can't even be mad at it because it's so just like nothing. Like it.
0: Yep, this is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, it's like I guess if you want to do that.
0: Here I'm dropping it into the chat.
1: I mean, speaking of crossovers, like so does a ripe. Oh, it's really ugly. It's really yep. ugly. It looks fake.
0: No, that's how it was. It was this weird kind of like it was like a loading screen of an SSX game.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should be playing tricky.
0: Yep, it is in fact tricky to rock a rhyme.
1: Oh, God. I, yeah. Hmm.
0: Oh, wait. I have just found a, uh, (laughs) I know it's Canadian because there's there's French on it as well. A Pepsi Max Esprit Mojito. (laughs) Just like, I don't, you already had Pepsi with lime. That was a thing. It's like, is there a mint flavor in there too?
1: So, I don't, I don't know who these are for.
0: I have also found one and I'm going to send it to you and I want you to describe what I am dropping into the chat because I don't want to spoil the surprise.
1: Okay, I'm ready. As ready as I can be.
0: Sending, sending, sending,
1: ding. Oh. Oh. No.
0: Use your words, Christopher.
1: It is a bottle. It looks like mouthwash, for one. But it is, like, bright, noxious green. It is Pepsi ice cucumber? (laughs) Why? And for whom?
0: That said, because the thing is, there is a large market in Australia for snacks and drinks and stuff from the UK or the US or mm-hmm. other places. Because we have a ton of expatriates here. And they're often sold at exorbitant prices, usually at convenience stores who import them. Like one guy goes overseas and comes back with a box and it's like, here you can get Dr. Pepper and it's like four bucks a can. Fuck. They've recently properly started importing it in the last like five years or so, but for a while it was a real racket. Like you know, the two stores that would sell Reese's peanut butter cups, and they were like, would sell out because you couldn't get them here. Now you can buy them in any supermarket. But then I would go in there, and it would always be after I'd gone to like you know a couple of bars in Redford, because there were some nice like kind of hipster bars in Redford that will mm. get you tanked on fancy cocktails. And then Kimiko and I would go in, and I think at one point I spent like fifty dollars on like weird sodas. And random cereals and, like, licorice made out of Dr. Pepper and stuff like that. And then, like, woke up the next morning with a hangover and was like, what is all this weird shit in my fridge?
1: You left yourself a present.
0: <laughs> I did. Past me decided I needed, you know, espresso soda and a celery soda, which was a uh, celery, which is actually really good.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, or, like, Nordic herb soda. But the one that I really ended up liking was actually a cucumber soda. I'll see if I can find the actual brand here.
1: I'm not necessarily against the cucumber idea. I'm against the name because it presupposes that it has ice. Uh, They cannot tell me what temperature to drink my soda at.
0: (laughs) They're not the boss of you. But here you go. It's Mr. Q. Cumber. Mr. Q. Cumber. And what I found is that (laughs) you put some gin and a little bit of lime in a a glass and some ice and you pour the Mr. Cucumber over. Uh, That is real nice on a hot day.
1: That's like a, a nice little little gin and tonic you got yourself going there.
0: hmm But yeah, that was my gift to myself was a negative fifty dollars and a bunch of weird sodas <laughs> that I drank like almost on a dare. Like I'd be like, Ah, oh, Sunday afternoon, maybe I'll crack open one of these babies. Also, the espresso soda had actual espresso in it and I barely slept that night.
1: <laughs> oh, I there is actually a like I think they call themselves a craft soda store, um, out where they do. I used to work. And artisanal it's just aisles upon aisles of like weird and and artisanal sodas
0: because what they what they build you see is a a handcrafted curated artisanal soda experience
1: it's more like a <laughs> it's just a dare like you said yeah. it's almost it's like you walk in the door and you're like what bullshit am I walking out of here with this time <laughs> they do have cheer wine so like i can at least get that and it's always good
0: yeah cuz you guys have jones soda over there right
1: oh yeah yeah i think it's from here, actually yeah
0: because i remember joan soda from canada because there was a jeans store called bootlegger that would sell like moderately cool clothes for like 2000 and they always had a fridge by the register and they would have like joan soda i remember like really liking their root beer and i liked that there was like a different photo on every bottle and then i looked up online and found out about the thanksgiving sodas have you heard about these
1: oh yeah they're horrible
0: not only is it they're horrible but they did it as a joke and then we're forced to do it again due to demand.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because people are bad. <laughs> people hate themselves.
0: Oh, yeah. By the way, one of the sodas that I bought from a video store of all places that would, again, doing the overseas candy thing. Same place I got the birthday cake Oreos. I got myself a a real deal Fago cream soda, which I mixed with some very expensive rum to be like, check me out. <laughs> I'm doing this thing.
1: I love that, like, that meet-in-the-middle mentality of, like, ah, this very nice rum and some fago.
0: <laughs> this is some Angostura 1919 <laughs> that I'm tempering with a fago vanilla cream soda. Whoop, whoop, sirs. Whoop, whoop. I
1: was whoop. say, only for the juggalos who appreciate the finest things in life.
0: <laughs> ah, I was going to say, we should probably wrap this up at some point. So, Chris, if people... <laughs> people want to hear your opinions on artisanal soda experiences or comic book crossovers or the mantling where would they find you on the internet
1: uh you can find me on twitter and instagram at cm rolling that's spelled c-m-r-o-h-l-i-n-g and I've also got two podcasts that I mentioned uh, near the top of the show, Well Worn Grooves, which is a music podcast where I talk with my partner Colin Enquist of the Pub Chat podcast. We talk about two albums essentially chosen at random. We smash them together and we see what comes out. And our big triumphant return should be any day now. We actually throw that to the wayside and do like a 45-minute deep dive into our like collective favorite album, which is Robin's Body Talk.
0: That's a real good album.
1: That's, yeah, it's real good. Other than that, my other show is All Your Kayfabe Friends, which I do with Brian McNamara and Kyle Herr. That is a show where basically we just get weird with the wide, weird world of pro wrestling. Been a lot of New Japan pro wrestling talk lately. So listeners of this show might be into that since Lucas, you're a fan.
0: I am indeed a fan. What I like about Well Worn Grooves is that I can get a backlog because there's a decent backlog of episodes. I can just go back and listen to one at random and then come and yell at you, enjoy at uh, your. <laughs> opinions on the Scott Pilgrim versus the world soundtrack something like 11 months after you released that episode like hey oh yeah
1: that was a super fun episode
0: yeah you said a thing 11 months ago I want to talk about it
1: (laughs) I'm always up to talk about that movie and that album
0: it's a good fucking album although I was a little annoyed because Brian Lee O'Malley put his like working playlists in the back of one of the Scott Pilgrim volumes Mm -hmm. as like here's a bonus thing here's some of the music I was listening to this inspired this thing and I went and bought all those songs on iTunes, cause and a lot of them were really good. You got, like, you know, Uncle Tupelo and, like, you know, Plum Tree and a bunch of other stuff. And so I had all these files, and so when the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack dropped, like, half that album was that playlist. And then I had to <laughs> buy the whole album to get the Sex Bomb tracks. And so I did, and I felt a little bit ripped off. But it's all good, because it's a really good album.
1: It is. I, I love that album. We're probably, at some point, going to do a big show on All In, because we're currently recording this All In weekend. <laughs> no idea when it's going to go up, so that might Kote Kota Ibushi
0: it, but... is still lost out of the airport.
1: Oh, apparently they found him. <laughs> apparently they found him. Kota Ibushi oh. got lost again. It's, like, I worry about that guy.
0: He literally tweeted, it's all going to be okay this time, and then it oh wasn't okay. <laughs> oh, you beautiful dum-dum.
1: Oh, I like that Kenny apparently posted, this never happens when we travel together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Ibushi situation has been handled. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> oh, God oh god again I'm quoting my friend Alex a lot in this episode but he said it's okay gazelles don't need to know algebra
1: <laughs> I think that's it like I can't top that
0: yeah <laughs> alright Chris thanks so much for coming on again it's been fun
1: thanks for having me Whatever. All home. my guardian angels from down my telephone, the heat's on
0: mister, can't you hear them scream? to Chris Rowling for his time. Last time, I set Chris up with an Irish whiskey cocktail called the Kith Snicket. And I've returned to that cocktail several times over this very cold Australian winter. I certainly hope he has some Irish whiskey left over because this one uses it too. I present the Anywhere Key. In a shaker full of ice, combine one and a half ounces of Irish whiskey, half an ounce of Maraschino Liqueur, half an ounce of Grand Marnier, and one and a quarter ounces of extra dry vermouth. Shake vigorously for 30 seconds until combined, and strain into a cocktail glass. Garnish with a citrus twist. This drink can make sense of any map and take you where you need to go. Enjoy. In Likeheart, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Wednesday with a bonus episode in between. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou@gmail.com at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at ThematOfYou, you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokiified, Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-T, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You could make it rain. You could drop fat stacks. You could really impress me. If you'd like to support in a non-monetary way, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also leave a review and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash TheMathOfYou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a playlist going all the way back to episode one with every song I've ever used, including this one. It's it's Getting Boring by the Sea by Blood Red Shoes. And of course, it's off the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Next week, I couldn't resist. I'm going to be putting up Chris's bonus episode. It is a full 36-odd minutes of us just goofing around and talking about wrestling. As if this show wasn't goofy enough. Join me, won't you?
1: And
0: what it was. Oh, was that your dog? Yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> just like, you know, got some Metallica in the earphones, and that bitten one just came up, and your dog started drumming along. <laughs> Anyway, um, this is a goofy as shit episode. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, The Lost Room.